0: Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex- professional rugby league player and captain and now i guess i'm a bit of a podcaster speaker actor writer entrepreneur i'm still working all that out but our mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose resilience and what i believe is the new success inner peace sounds good if you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you might be time to step up if you want to start your journey with us you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen It's amazing to have you on, mate. I guess I could ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, but it seems like you've had quite a few different selves in your time, mate. Yeah, mate. You know, lines. you're the first.
1: You're the first person to acknowledge uh, how difficult that answering that question can be. Mm. Uh, but but I, I do my I do my best whenever someone someone asks.
0: Yeah. I so mate, you've been so you've been an ex-pro heavyweight boxer. You've been well. You're interested or you're competitive as a chess player, yeah. a physicist, a social media, I've put maestro, you've been in the military, um, there's a lot going on there, man. I, I, I guess to, to go straight into it, what's, what's been your pre- preferred mode of life? <laughs>
1: <laughs> a preferred mode of life is the one i live in now, um, like it. a, it's a great life, because this life is a culmination of everything uh, done prior to, you know, like, like I mean, I, I compete in in chess tournaments, but I'll i like probably never be a master or anything like that. But yeah. but it, it's but but that's because it's low stress. Like I don't I don't have the the uh, the hunger that you need, you know. Certainly that like I had when I was fighting initially, because because mm. I've built I I've built a life based on my words and everything. You know, writing has really made a big difference in my life. I, I'm I'm a big product of the the do it yourself kind of no no uh, gatekeepers uh, model of business for for writing and building your own platform or brand and it, it's been good I mean and, and I really like this life I'm working on a book about my experiences in boxing and how you can kind of take those and and learn from them and, and apply them in your life but mm-hmm. but prior to that I mean it was all it was all difficult because. You have to understand uh, something a lot of a lot of people, some people do when they look at the the timeline and make the connection. A lot of that stuff happens simultaneously. I woke up one day or one day after after a brutal hangover uh, or a few. And I was like, you know, I got to I have to fix things because things are way out of order. Mm -hmm. I was like twenty seven and. And I I didn't feel like I was even close to where I should be in my life, and outside of boxing, like I didn't feel like I had anything going on for myself. Yeah. So I said I have to fix this because I looked in the future. I was like, you know, one day I'm not going to fight, you know. And, and yeah. but but it, but it takes time to get to to like levels, you know. I don't want to start everything over when I'm done fighting. So, well, what did I do? At at 27, I went and enlisted in the army, and and that the plan for that was to. One built my resume up because I was trying to get a job and go to school. I, I, I enrolled in school, all this. But by this time, I've got my third professional fight done. So it's not like I started at the beginning of my pro or even my amateur career. So I do all this, and from like 2014 to 2016, like from the beginning of 2014 to the end of 2016. It, it's it's a rough ride man because there's a lot going on i compressed a lot mm-hmm. of life and a lot of progress and and people like no i i feel like the boxing set a nice like platform to begin and build off of yeah uh, and i started that when i was 22 but
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything else is was done like recently i uh, was well, writing for the website the website Technically, yeah, I guess it's about yeah, it's about eight years old, eight or yeah, two thousand twelve. So, so mm-hmm. all that all that's come together, and then there's yeah. a lot of there's a you know there's a lot of lessons to be taken from that. But the main one is that uh, when you pull a rubber band, the, the further you pull it one way, uh, to balance things out, it's got to go the other way, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. I was you know bsing for so long, and then I said, all right, let's stop bsing and let's catch up to where we think we should be.
0: And it went the other way. Yeah, man. So I guess, you know, the, the work rate and the ethic that that you would have had as a boxer would have worked and and sort of has helped you at this point in your life now for, for everything that you've got going on. Um, I I just want to zone in on that period actually where you got to 27, you're actually a professional boxer. Then Um, you've had a few fights, a few professional fights and, um, you know, you, you just mentioned there the BSing or, you know, the bullshitting yourself. Um, what, you know, because mental health is such a big spectrum. It's such a, a, such a wide thing that you can talk about. Um, and I saw and I noticed something that was actually on your blog um, and you were talking about um, the, the the nature of all that, how society sort of calls um, or names um, alcoholism as a, a disease and, and an addiction. Um but you've just mentioned there, like the the BS and the bullshitting yourself. What 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 would you class as uh, bullshitting, uh, bullshitting, bullshitting yourself uh, in in that life and in that mode?
1: Uh, you know, my my big issue, my big problem was my position in life didn't match my perspective of myself. You know, I think I think guys end up building up their ego and. They have uh, kind of an idea of who they are, and depending on your circumstances, you can live behind that illusion for a long time before you're forced to confront the truth. Mm-hmm. And it was very easy uh, for me because everyone looks and they see, oh, here's a guy boxing, and you can kind of excuse everything around that, everything from like, low funds to uh, a propensity for alcohol all this right because that's that's the life but in my mind i'm like yeah but that's not the life i want that, that you know that was the big thing that's not the life i want more importantly when this is over i don't want to have nothing left like i mean i think about what it would be like if if if, it, if the music stopped right mm-hmm. i i i did not ever want to be what i call in the fighter's graveyard you know you see a lot of guys who fought um, maybe they went far maybe they didn't but there's not a lot of money in, in fighting whatsoever and so for them the only thing they have left to do a lot of them end up working shifts um graveyard shifts and, and factories and things like that and, and there's nothing against those guys. uh i don't what I mean but for me that was not where I wanted to end up and it certainly didn't match the perspective that i had of myself so I had yeah. to go okay i can't I, I'm gonna I'm gonna humble myself and go. I'm a loser, right? I, everything else is going on. You know, outside of fighting, I'm a loser. Got to humble myself. Got to accept that. Well, once I can do that, then I can start making moves and and trying to fix that situation. But but the first step, you know, it's like they, they teach when alcohol like in recovery. It's like you know you got to admit you got a problem. If if you don't, mm-hmm. if you can't do that, uh, you can't do anything. If you can't admit that something is wrong, you can't get it right. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was for me: is admitting that something was wrong, and that that enables me to stop BSing myself. If I if the longer I think something's right, <laughs> the longer I think this is acceptable. And I've dude, I've, I've mm-hmm. seen it in in many areas, not just fighting. I've seen it in, in, in amateur musicians, or people, or even people in, in their jobs who. Who are doing just enough to get bond to them? Uh, that's cool, but but somebody's gonna be hustling. Uh, the law of attrition works on life too, or rather inflation. And that you know, if you're doing the same thing in five years, you probably you're losing. I mean, there's not probably you are losing. Now, how much you had to adapt? Story?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so I made sure I adapted, man. And that was that was the the number one most important thing for me to to adapt mm. and not and not get
0: and not lie to myself. Yeah. there's a a quote, actually, you just reminded me there, saying uh, you're not lying to yourself, but um, Bessel van der Kolk, uh, a book called The Body Keeps a Score, um, and there's a chapter in that, or there's a, there's a, there's a, a quote in that, and there's a psychiatrist that comes out of it and says, the biggest sources of suffering is the lies that you tell yourself. Um, I think that's quite powerful. And I know you mentioned there the idea of um, being supported or being upheld by the, the fact that you're a boxer. Um, and you mentioned like illusions uh, that, that, you, that you came across and the illusions sort of yep. falling down. Could you tell us the, the sort of the, the, the things or the illusions that, that you started to see through um, at, at that time when you're coming up to that point?
1: Uh, you know, for, for starters... I write about this in my my book about getting sober. Uh, for starters, you start to realize that people don't think you're as cool as you think you are. That that for me was a big one because because here's a here's a funny thing about drunk people. No one likes drunk people, not even other drunk people. And so, it, it's one thing you know people will go, "Oh man, he was drinking whatsoever," uh, but then you start hearing things about yourself. And, and you're like, okay, that, that reputation, that's not the reputation I wanted to build for me. You know, It all starts with a standard. You know, Before we, we go any further, it all kind of starts with a standard for yourself. You got to have some type of desire or, or some, yeah. something you hold yourself to. Otherwise, who cares, right? You'll just be a heinous mm-hmm. and then BS and it won't matter. But uh, for me, that was the big one. When I, when I started to see how other people actually saw me. Because people because people are, you know, we talk about people being mean, but, like, I think that's largely on social media. In reality, people are nice to a fault sometimes, especially if they're not confrontational whatsoever, or they actually don't dislike you so much as they just aren't fans of you. Like, they don't care. So they're not going to tell you that you're messing up. They're not going to tell you that you're going to have problems. You know, you just when now. now when you're not in the room, you know, they're going to talk all kinds of nonsense about you and yeah. you're going to have to hear it secondhand. And I, I was fortunate enough at the time that made me very angry, but to this day, I'm thankful. In fact, when I, when I was in the middle of writing sober letters to my drunken self, I, I think I wrote three, maybe four people, and I said, you know, I know at the time that I had this kind of reaction to, to the things you said and did, but I want to let you know that, I, you know, I, you ain't got to respond, but I thank you for telling me that, for saying, well, not even telling me that, for saying that, for doing that, and for me, me for get back to me, because that spurred the change. Otherwise, I'm going to walk around harboring this idea that who I am is, is at some level acceptable.
0: So, yeah so, so who was the who was those people then and and, and how did that come to you that, that spurred um, they, you on they, off they were people to... just
1: around me you know mm. um p- people who who i i thought may have been friends maybe maybe not but but you know certainly enough close enough in my social circle to where i could hear to where what they said eventually find a way this way back to me and yeah. and that that made a big difference right hearing that kind of stuff like like and and. I, and that was was a big one. The second, uh, in, in fighting and boxing, you know, my coach brought it up a few times, you know, that you, that, that the way I'm behaving with alcohol is reckless. It's not mm-hmm. becoming of a professional. And I look up to my coach, I really respect his opinion. I know he's seen he's seen it wrong fighters, so I said, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I want to continue to work with this person and have and make a good impression here, uh then I need to do something about that, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, that's where it came from.
0: Yeah, uh, the social yeah.
1: the social pressure, uh, now, now granted, the social pressure didn't immediately make me change, uh, but that was the first time that I got a glimpse into, okay, I'm not what I thought I was. Like, people don't see me the way I see me. Mm. And you can lie. And, and you know, I, I did this, too. I think I think we all do this. I said, OK, you don't like me. Then that's your problem. Right. And, and I made it about <laughs> the other person's yeah. issue Yeah. And, and that that works for a little while and, until you're like, well, maybe maybe they had a point. Mm. And if they had a point What what, what my life cause You gotta ask yourself If they're right What evidence is there To show they're correct Okay yeah. You look around And it's like Whoa Okay I pissed off somebody else This time I'm still not making moves Worried more about drinking And paying my rent One time Making sure You know I never got yeah. to that point Because yeah. I'm like Responsible About mm. things that relate To other people And I was like well, And in general Just kind of upholding That image Right
0: Yeah
1: but, but when you, when you, when you have people, when, when you, if you want to make a change, just, just, just see if you can get an inside look about what people are saying about you behind your back. If, if you're not, if you're not really in a place, you'll think about it. Now, now, if that was happening right now in my life let's pretend somehow i got there and I, I got where i am now and i was still a heavy boozer you know I'm, i might i'd probably ignore it i'm like i'm not me <laughs> but because i was aware of it and i could see how it was impeding my progress yeah. i had no choice but to take it seriously
0: yeah man i noticed one of the um the the quotes on, on your site as well um it's it's around you live in the hard way or you learn the hard way. So now you try to break it down for people yeah, in an easy yeah, way.
1: I say I took, I, I took what I um, learned the hard way and I break it down mm. so you can learn it the easy way.
0: Yeah. And, and, and what was, what was the, what was the steps or the actions that you took all of? What were the habits that you put in place around stopping drinking? But
1: Oh man. So, so the big thing for me, um, I stopped, so so once I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore, and then that was a hard thing because uh, I think a lot of people continue to drink, they continue to do things that are are destructive for them because they have not they're they, they're more rather they're more worried they're worried about being alone. Okay, mm. so I had to come to a I had to come to a point where I was like, I would rather be alone and like leave behind what I know uh then stick with it and be the same and so when i embraced that fear i was like okay if i'm if my friends decide they don't want to kick it or they give me nonsense about it i said that's okay and and that's a hard decision for a lot of people to make when they want to make a big change especially something that deals with like alcohol because so much of our social fabric is is laced with drinking we we don't really know another way to to socialize, especially in the West, so that was the first part. Once I once I did that, I, you know, I, I told my friends I said this is it, and I, I cut off everything. I don't think, in fact, I remember the first time I was out later than midnight after I stopped drinking, and that was because a buddy of mine. Uh, I wanted to see. Uh, I wanted to see the Daniel Cormier, John uh, John Jones fight. Uh, and so the, the first time they fought. And so we went down to a Dave and Buster's and, you know, a freaking fight takes release when you're on the East Coast uh, here in the US I mean, you know, EST, and a fight is being broadcast and PST for them it's only nine o'clock when the main event happens. For us it's 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, so I stayed out for that but, but that took like I mean but that was like two years. Uh, I had to get rid of a lot of things, a lot of socializing because I had to make my habit strong. When you make mm-hmm. a new habit and it's under assault from a new environment or, or your old environment, uh, the odds are against you. Like, like, like. I talk to people whenever I go to like an AA thing, and I talk to them. I'm just talking to somebody that wants some some counseling or whatever. I say, look, I used to think you could stop drinking and just kick it with your people, and it would be okay. That can't happen because you have because your habit's not strong enough yet. You gotta you're doing something new. Everything around you is triggering you, trying to push you back into the old. You gotta go and be like, all right, This is it for me. Now you can eventually rejoin them when they're strong enough. Like now I can go out I can go out to a bar, whatever the game zone and watch it, and I have zero interest or desire in drinking. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's because it is now it's a habit now for me. It'd be harder for me to drink than not drink, as opposed to the other way around. But that is the first thing I did, man. I, I, I and that was the biggest thing is that I I I was so busy with other stuff and I wanted that so bad, I said, No, way. And then yeah. I also, you know, I also leaned on public accountability. I think, I think we, we live in an age where like, you know, I give people a lot of crap when they post like, oh, you know, one year, one month anniversary or one month sober, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really give them crap for the last thing, but that one month anniversary thing is kind of annoying. But <laughs> the the idea though, is that when you post that stuff up, you build momentum and you're building public accountability. I can't, I, I've lost track. I, I've stopped posting them. Uh, mm-hmm. When people tell me that they've been following my, my sobriety journey and not inspired them to get sober. And I was just like, that was never my goal. Uh, my goal was to post my thing so people be like, all right, what's your deal if you drink it again? Yeah. But also, like now, I mean, the memories always come out. Oh, you know, three months in, six months in, seven months in. Like I can, I can see, you know, the, the progress made and the time's invested now. But you gotta, you, you've gotta find a way to use public accountability to your advantage, and that's what I used. I mean, I posted my one month, I posted the day I stopped. No, I didn't post the day, I stopped uh, no. because I didn't want, I wanted people to take me seriously and not like you know laugh or whatever. But after one month, people take you seriously. and now you take yourself seriously too. Mm. You know, it's not, it's, it's not like when you wake up with a hangover, and you're like, oh, I'm never drinking again. And everyone's like, yeah, you're just saying that. We're gonna be yeah, yeah. I gotta it. Common. But When you go one month consecutive and then you tell people you did it, now you didn't change the game up a little bit. You, you've you changed the game up in terms of how they're going to look at you and you've changed how you're going to look at you yourself.
0: Is that because your actions or your behaviors turn into your own evidence in a way? So you start that change.
1: I've never heard it put better.
0: Yeah, abs- like can I abs- you can abs- use that one?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your your actions and your behavior start to start to become your own evidence having one month into something is like, okay, I can do this. Like having a year and it's like, what? I made it that far. It's like, it's like, but it's like anything, you know, uh, that's why they they say for, for working out and training, consistency is the most important thing. If you can get to the gym three days a week for a year, which is not a lot, but Mm. that's more than the average person. And Mm. that will make a difference. And then you'll feel like you can do it.
0: Yeah, man. It's funny. It's funny. Say that, you know, the, the, a part or a contingent of, you know, this group getting together on this podcast and, and, um, you know, as, as sort of building and, 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 and going somewhere, you know, setting on that journey, which is hopefully going to be our actions turning into evidence, um, and habits turn into evidence. Um, you know, a part of that is the accountability group. We've got a group, we've got a community, we've got behaviours that we tick off, we've got check-ins that we deliver um each day, um, which is good. You know, it's not for anything um specific in terms of stopping alcohol, but it's it's that it's that that's that repeated um action, that repeated habit and um the community to to sort of hold you accountable, but also to turn it into evidence too, mate. So yeah, yeah I like yeah. that.
1: I run a group. I run a group for guys getting off of porn, doing internet porn, and in the first time I ran the enrollment, it was it was just you know learning how the group worked and everything. And the thing that surprised me the most, people showed up to the calls. In the in the end of you showed up to the call There was pretty much like a 90 percent chance you weren't going watching the internet porn for the whole yeah. for the 12 week iteration and after 12 weeks you've got a new you got a real new habit it's like why yeah. would i want to like relapse that now your actions have become the evidence okay you've and and, yeah. and on top of that the other thing you said about that group you got you got you know your brothers in there now are are, are looking to you and hold you accountable. That's mm. the other thing people lack. They don't make themselves accountable. When I was trying to get sober, uh, I remember the first time I said, I think I have an issue. I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, I think I might check out AA. And he said, Are you sure, man? That's forever. And mm. and that's the wrong response. Like I don't I don't have anything like against them for that's saying that. That's a big that. step. <laughs> but that that's one of those things you learn is that I uh, you can't talk to people who ain't uh, about making changes who ain't at that level, right? Like, like uh, you know, it'd be, it would be like like more, more down to earth, I guess, or, or more relatable. It would be like a bunch of fat people. And one dude's going, I'm tired of being fat. I'm going to start losing weight. Do you think this is safe to eat? And they're going to look at you like... Yeah, it's great. We love it <laughs> because they don't know any better. Meanwhile, it's the thing that's making you horrible. Yeah, yeah. You,
0: yeah. yeah. When you,
1: when you start to when you start to make those changes, you gotta do them. You're better off alone than you're a bad company. Yeah, man. Or you've, you've rather, got, you, the incorrect company.
0: You've, you've got yeah, for sure. You've got to find a crowd. Then and, uh, and and for for a lot of things, and and I've said it on a few podcasts as well. I think, but you know that. The simple idea or the simple structure of being unhappy and 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 not getting the right things, not getting the right results, not feeling the right way. Um, this simply put, you know, it don't it don't need science to back it up. It don't need anything else. But you need to step out of that cycle. Uh, you need to step out of that those reinforced behaviours. Those sort of. You you know your brain come, becomes your environment, and the environment you know is 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 is, is experienced. So that's that becomes your brain. So you need to step out of that actual cycle that keeps you on keeps you on that 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 repeated path. Um, and that is just so important, and, and it's so important the people you speak to because, like you say, friendships and and people that that you actually spend time with they're the biggest things and the biggest people that have influenced in you. So right. it's, um, <laughs> how important, how important is that to, to shake that open, to, to find the right, the right people and find the right sort of wave that you want to go on.
1: And you know, what's crazy difficult about that. That discourages a lot of guys. Okay. So, so let, let's pretend that there's a, a group of uh, of people Alcohol is a great example. Or we'll, we'll use fitness. It's a better one. Let's pretend there's a group of, of fitness enthusiasts that you want to hang out with. That you want them to be your friends, you want that to be your life, you know, all that, right? But you look like the Pillsbury doughboy. You don't so so you, what you what you gotta accept is that there's gonna be this middle ground. Of loneliness, where you leave the old group behind because you ex- you recognize that that won't work for you. But the new group, they are not you, you. You haven't earned the cost of admission yet. You you're not ready. Okay, in between, yes. But that in between, that's where the work is done, and that's the hard part. Mm. But that, but but if you can make it through there. A little just a little and last and build and build. You you've done something real powerful. One, you've proven that you you're not like what you left. You you mm-hmm. can be different. And you also kind of stop craving the acceptance. You start doing it for the process sake rather than the outcome, which in the most ironic uh, situations in the world, that's how you become more attractive to, to the people who would be. Uh, who you would benefit most to be around, benefit yeah, most man. from being around. So... Yeah, man. It, 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 Go
0: on, on, All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just going to say, it's, um, I think you, you get in that position where you sort of can recognise that outcome that you're always wanting. And if you can recognise the cohort or the uh, the social structure that you're in that's on that same outcome or the hunt for that same outcome or desire um you have to do you do have to detach yourself a little bit from that and you know we're social beings we've evolved to be social so you know you're going to expect and and it is it is is fact that there's going to be a little bit of isolation but the idea of of coming to that narrative or that awareness that the whole process is is what you're looking for rather than the outcome is is oh my god it's it's relief it's enlightening it's um yeah, man, it's it's, it's 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 a it's a, a real special and, and um, important realization. I think.
1: Yeah, and, and and it's a hard realization for a lot of people. Well, I, I won't say a lot of people. For anyone who has not uh, ever done a thing that requires them to be more than what they are now, because one thing I've mm. learned is that a lot of humans pretty much go from cradle to the grave on the track that they were set on they don't make any effort to shake things up beyond kind of a certain variance and that variance is most prevalent when they leave high school and they decide what they're going to do in college but usually depending on the circle their, their social circle that outcome is 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 set they know where they're going and what they're going to do and, and they don't shake out of it. But when you do decide to, to wake up and I say wake up is you, you try to start choosing a path and a, a lot of times that path is going to be very different than what was expected of you. Then you start to embark on the process of trying to get to said outcome. And, in, and in then on the way there, you realize that the outcome is not really important. Like I, th- I think about the things that I got from boxing, for example, and, and that's a that. And in terms of like my life, I mean that, that variance that's a that's a fairly. Uh, you want to talk in terms of statistics? That's that's probably up there a, th- a three standard deviation move from from what would be expected from the path I was taking. Certainly at boxing at twenty two, because uh, that's when I started. And and when I started doing that, I changed so much about the way I looked at my world. That but changed so much about how I looked at my world that I went on to get a, a degree in physics. And I was a kid in high school who who failed math classes and who dreaded sciences because I didn't think that I was capable. I thought I, I thought my level of ability. I thought I was an intelligent guy, right? I never thought I was a dummy, but I thought it was fixed and distributed a different way. Mm -hmm. When I started fighting, I watched myself improve. And that process of improvement, of incremental practice, of seeing me get better and better and better, that convinced me that my brain was not stuck. That -hmm. convinced me that my emotional approach to things was not fixed, that effectively my personality was malleable. And my intelligence was malleable. And so I decided I was going to use that to make a better life for myself. But that is from the process of trying to become a better boxer. It's not, it, it, you know, sure, I was trying to be a fighter. But imagine if the goal was, was you know, to, to fight on television or, or fight for a title. You know, who knows how long. Uh, I, in fact, if I, if that's the goal, if I'm obsessed with that, I never do the other things that have ultimately built the life that I have. You know, I haven't made a, a dollar from boxing in over four years, and and then the last dollar I made, Uncle Sam took a lot of it. So like, it's not like I was walking away going okay. And in fact, I had to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> i had to get a job i think two months after my last fight there's like there's no there's no money there mm-hmm. but because of the process so much so much stuff that i put in play after watching how i changed developing as a fighter that is what i got from it or, or rather um the, the question or the idea wasn't what i got from fighting but rather that's what i got from pursuing the process of what it takes to become good at boxing not just trying mm-hmm. to become a good boxer
0: yeah yeah it's um it, it's very much outcome led and and obviously I can talk about my life as well in in the way that um ever since a young age I was desperate like there were an era of desperation um and you know a lot of probably unnecessary suffering uh, in in striving and struggling and straining towards getting a goal, towards um, winning a, a final, towards being the best player, and all this sort of stuff. And I think when I came away from that, or, or when I realised that that wasn't actually the 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 real answer, that, that wasn't the real nugget, which I think I think some a lot of people, it depends how, how you look at it, are lucky or unlucky to realise. Um, I look at it in a in, in a way that I'm lucky because. You you come on the other side of that and you see that the the act of doing it and I remember I remember like um, being in a position where I'd gone through a bit of uh, a dark period, well a really dark period. But on the other side of it, um, the 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 grip, uh, the sheer like not letting go of of wanting to achieve an outcome that that I so desperately wanted, that sort of i'll let go of that and um on the other side of it was just a complete joy to to be doing stuff to be aware of of, of what's possible <laughs> do you know what i mean to to actually to actually just flip in say right well i'll go play rugby because i want to play rugby and i'll go and, right. and um, you know just just because you want because you want to do it and and you know you don't go and watch um you don't go watch dancing. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of lads don't go watch dancing, but you don't go watch a dance um, to to get to the end of it and and just leave. You go to watch it to to be in it right. to experience it.
1: You know, you know what that reminds me of. I used to have this this discussion with guys, like you know, or some some guys. I, well, I didn't have the discussion. They would they would ask me because I I used to be a huge American football fan. Um, and I'm still kind of a fan of the game, but but not the way. I uh, was like five or well, ten years ago, really. Where I mean, I, I knew everything going on. And someone was like, "Why don't you just watch the the highlights and to get the score?" And I'm like, "Kitty, the whole mm-hmm. point. Like, I'm not, not just here for the outcome of the game. I want to <laughs> see the whole thing. It's the process.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's like that, that.
1: Like, yeah, like, like if, you, if you woke up tomorrow and you had, in fact, that we, we get to see this real time. There's a there's a bunch of great research about what I'm about to say. I jumped ahead, so it sounds like I'm all over the place. But uh, if you just woke up tomorrow and you had a million extra dollars, right, you ain't never had that kind of money before. You're not going to keep that money because you don't know anything about the process of getting that money. And if you think that's just speculation, there's a great... Amount of research done and books published on lottery winners who grow broke and who win the big lotteries, not the small ones, but the bigger ones, because psychologically they're not there. They just they 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 did something that effectively is impossible. Like when you look at the odds of winning, they're impossible. You got a better chance of getting struck by lightning or being eaten by a shark. But they did it and all of a sudden is gone they the all the problems that come with it, the issues etc. they don't they don't know. And you get yeah. to see that in a lot of, a lot of places when you just skip to the outcome. Mm. But uh that and that, that's like the closing. I mean, I guess another example would be like, you know, guys who juice and try and compete on juice. But the thing mm. about juicing is like you don't just juice and wake up the hulk. Like that's not really how it works, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, uh you you you're pretty much were the Hulk and you were trying to be the super Hulk.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. But but yeah. so so
1: that, that lottery example is like the closest that I can I can come up with to show mm-hmm. what happens when you just jump to an outcome, so outcome. as yeah. opposed to as to really embracing the process and get as far along as you can and learn what you can along the way because because fighting for something and struggling to gain something means it's yours. You owned mm. it. You you yeah. you can get it again Absolutely. if they take it from you, in one Absolutely. way or the other. But if yeah. they just give it to you, they man, someone can snatch it, and you can be like, oh man, what they do with my stuff? Well, oh, you didn't really earn mm. it. it, wasn't
0: yours. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, uh, you know, in rugby, in rugby league, it's it's pretty physical game, and there's a lot of drug cheats that 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 you know will be out there, and and people will cheat. But I don't know if 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 I was to win something from cheating, you know, if I went to went out there and took drugs and, and won something, I don't think it'd ever be worth it, um, which, you know, is, is, is my point of view. A lot of people have different point of views, but we're talking about the outcome. We're talking about the process. Um, you know, I'm interested in into the psychology between um, between uh, porn addiction. Is that all about the outcome? Is that about the process? And, and, and how do you stop the process or, or reaching for the outcome?
1: Uh, how do you start the process?
0: How do you well? How do you start the process to uh, to um, stop, like stop watching porn? Uh, too, uh, okay, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. No. Nah, so how do you start so you you can stop? Mm. I I think. that's a I man, that's a cool question. You know, I, I think this is a case of well begun is half done kind of thing. You have to find the, the the intersection of the thing that you like to do and the thing you're good enough to be in the top 15, 10% of ish, right? And why do I say that? Because when you enjoy doing something for the sake of doing it, you 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 you'll tend to you will just do it better you you enjoy it more. I mean, it's like like Ray Lewis has a great quote where he's talking about um, he's talking about retiring and he's like you know you guys you know I'll give you Sunday for free, but what you're paying me for the practices, the two days, the weightlifting, the the um, scrimmages, all that, right? And the whole point of that was that the the cost of being a professional football player is so great that you can't make me love my process anymore for the outcome you're trying to get out of me. So you're going to have to pay me because I'm not doing that for free anymore, okay? But he got to that point where he could do it because he loved football. He loved it. You see the same thing uh, in, in another great competitor, the way Jordan and Kobe Bryant practice. You read about the way these guys practice and and you can't practice that hard if you're just worried about winning. Right? Like I'm convinced when it's just about the outcome, you're not gonna do that much work, because you can convince yourself that you've done enough work based on your previous results, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we won, we can slack off a little easy. Oh, I got my hours and should be good? Like, no, I mean, I, I'm, I've read numerous stories about how Kobe Bryant you know, practice by the time he get there. He'd been in the gym, It's like he didn't sleep, basically. He'd been in the gym, you know, throwing 500 layups, like free throws or whatever. And, and that's the kind of no, no, you're not gonna become fanatical like that, but you need to love things in that kind of relationship to the outcome you get. If you can get a great outcome, that's fantastic. But if you can have fun doing it and it and it naturally obsesses you, yeah, that's that's where you wanna be. Um and so a practical piece of kind of advice there is if you aren't in a position uh, like if you don't really like the thing you just like the things it gives you or or bestows upon you you per- like, i don't I don't think you can ever really do it, but if you love it if if you can if you can make it get get through it if you can find a thing you can love because back to that Ray Lewis example, what I do believe Ray loved was the competition like I mean you can just watch the highlights. I don't know how familiar you guys are on that side of the pond with Ray Lewis. But Ray Lewis is probably going to go down in history. is is the greatest guy to ever play his position. Mm-hmm. some argue it's another Cat Lawrence Taylor, but uh, the point is they they argue. It's not it's not uh, yeah. objective. And they love the game. You you see this and and all the the. But but look at a guy like Armstrong, for example. There we go, Lance Armstrong. Did he love cycling? Probably not that much. Um,
0: probably I mean, winning.
1: I mean, I, mean, I mean, he liked winning. Okay.
0: Who can like cycling? Who can like cycling that hard? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who can like that. But, right, um, but
1: well, there you go. That. But that's one of the things I'll talk about. I, I have an article where I talk about the difference between being a competitor and being and, and someone who likes to win. And we often mm. confuse the two. But the reality is competitors compete. The outcome is important in the sense that it keeps score and lets them know how to do them. Uh, but it's not the end all be all people who like the win will cheat to win. They don't care about the process. They don't care about getting better, you know? And, and a lot of times all it takes is, is one person to knock them off their, their, um, thrown to compete. And it's an issue. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they'll never come back. And you see this a lot of times, you know, we, we can watch look at the, um, the recent heavyweight fights over the past two years, and we, we have the two guys that took losses, Deontay Water and Anthony Joshua. The difference, who, 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 who's the competitor? Anthony Joshua's the competitor because Deontay Water immediately went to make him numerous excuses for how that fight turned out. Mm. Right? Yeah. Anthony Joshua took his lumps and came back and fought him again in the rematch. The, the, Wilder do not want that rematch with Tyson Fury. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone in boxing thinks he does. I think, that, you know, it, it makes sense because that's the biggest money fight. But but Joshua came back and adjusted and came and and learned he's, he's competing. He's, I mean, he loves it. They push him and he competes, competes, competes. And you can tell he's having fun. I mean, uh, yeah.
0: Wilder, yeah.
1: It, it's, a, it's a different angle, <laughs> a different yeah. approach to it.
0: I think, I think, yeah, I think with Joshua, like what I've noticed over the last year, last year and a half, is he's, he's probably lost that gleam for the camera or that shine or that sort of want to, you know, be that that guy or that um, you know poster boy. I think he's just sort of like yeah. in it to to do it. You know what I mean? I think he's. You know, he, he,
1: he, I, I've he heard laps. you guys are over, or you're over there. I don't know how many guys are in the car or whatever, but, but I've heard that he is the most recognizable person. Current celebrity in the UK.
0: Yeah, um, I'd say, especially sports stars, I'd say, I'd say you know, he definitely is, and especially around one of his fights. He, um, you know, that's amazing.
1: That's amazing If to an American in this era because uh, um, fighters are not like boxing does not have that kind of uh, draw and appeal here. Yeah. We haven't had a dominating guy in a while that could do that.
0: What what's the what's the uh, journey of Deontay Wilder with that like the uh, the sort of like image that he's had because I imagine it went up a little bit but then has it gone down a bit again because he lost again? Um,
1: well, well, people, people aren't really. So, so Wilder's perspective is really interesting. So, okay. So, so from, a, from a pure marketing perspective, and this makes a big difference, um, and we'll just compare him to Joshua because it's, it's really fascinating. He's, mm. I mean, Joshua is just so much more marketable and yeah. just more polished and just has a you – know, you can listen to Anthony Joshua talk. And that's that's a really great quality for a guy to have if they're trying to move him along, as a is a, a face and figure. As far as what they what they did with Water and it was a smart move. They they drew up his power. The thing about that, uh, or rather they they focused on his power and his his flashy antics uh, after he he knocks guys out. Because as far as I can tell, he's a great like. like great devote god with his kid and i don't know why they didn't push that angle man you know, like why he got into boxing and re- related to his, his daughter's uh, health and everything but uh, as as a sports person they <laughs> he really did a bad thing you know no, no one cares that he lost to tyson fury in the sense of like hurting stock I think in I think in terms of competition faced, Joshua probably took a, a bigger change in position in the publics eye uh, losing to Ruiz than yeah. Wilder did losing to Fury. Just yeah. the level of competition, but then how he handled it is was killed. It man, he has made excuse after excuse about why it happened, mm-hmm. and and it is it is not looked kindly upon by the boxing. World, because now you know. In the old days, when you made an excuse, it was kind of like limited to uh, the big publications who caught it and the people who read those publications. But now, you know, well, every you know there are there are at least three heavyweight boxing devoted to heavyweight boxing alone YouTube mm-hmm. channels that I can think of off the top of my head. So, you know, yeah. there's a guy on your side of the river. I listen to every now and then there's a guy over here, the heavyweight boxing guy, I think is his name and, um, uh, to that effect. And there's a guy I follow on Twitter who talks about this stuff. So, so when these statements come in and they, they, they get big play, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and trending tags and this is no good. So, so, yeah. you know, it, will be interesting how that, how that goes. But the problem is that like, no one really needs Wilder, um, mm-hmm. to make a big fight because, because fury and, and Joshua.
0: They're coming the, up now
1: they're the big fight and they could and look unless one of them just washes the other one entirely They could do a trilogy that fight make a hundred million dollars
0: mm, mm, Easy yeah. no one needs wilder now man. It's all British. It's all British. Um, yeah, you guys. But,
1: yes It's It's back like when um Lennox Lewis was running things man
0: <laughs> Yeah, 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 especially When I started Mentality 5 years ago, I was committed to creating a hub that would offer the knowledge and experiences to allow all of us to go beyond the stigma that cripples many men into a life lacking fulfilment. It would be a lie to say that I knew the impact Mentality would be having on people's lives, but we are, and it blows me away when someone gets in touch to share with us how we've helped them. So. Today's podcast sponsor is Mentality Counseling, and I want to share with you a testimony from a guy who went from listening to this exact pod to making the important step to start counseling. Just wait until you hear what he has to say about his experience. If you are someone who this resonates with and you are ready to get the help that you deserve, head to our website right now and get in touch with John. Here is the testimonial. I found it almost impossible to share my feelings and emotions with others. This was evident in our first few sessions. John was patient with me, providing support and guidance, but also gave me the necessary push when I needed it. Our sessions have changed my life. I now use my feelings and emotions to my advantage rather than letting them control my life. John has given me the tools to continue to improve outside of our session and I am so much happier now. Boom! What else do you need? There you go. Someone taking it, taking it into his own hands to make a difference and make a change. Mentality counselling. So we spoke a bit about that mate, I just want to because there'll be some people that have, have, have probably had their ears pricked when you've talked about um, porn addiction. Um, tell me a bit about that, mate. Tell me a bit about how you, you got into that game and, and, and um, you know, what, what, what you do for people.
1: Yeah, so so I got into that game kind of the same way I wrote a book about sobriety. You know, it was an issue that I had to overcome and deal with. And, and the crazy thing about, me you know, porn is not like crack or booze or something like that. Like, like by the nature of consumption, you do it alone. And that's a big deal because most, a big problem with any addict leaving is, is, you know, there's the physiological addiction. Like, I'm actually, I actually need this substance, you know, like with opioids and things like that. And then there's the community that they get adjusted uh, to. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're afraid of breaking. Porn has no community. I mean, no, we're no community in the sense of like, I'm gonna miss these guys, you know, let's get together and watch some porn. Like good guys all do that shit. That's weird, <laughs> right? You know. No. And instead, you know, you're in your room by yourself and then you pop out and leave. And and before you and you think, okay, it's innocent. You think it's not gonna be an issue. But then what ends up happening? Well, you you know, you, you got some some smoking hot girl and you 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 know, you blew your low. Three days in a row now. You you're not you're not a spry chicken. You're not fifteen anymore. Where fucking you get a boner just by looking at some tits? Like that's not how it works anymore. So all of a sudden, you got to tell this girl. You got to come up with a reason why your thing ain't working, and that's a big blow to a lot of guys. And and dude, and it happens more often. Than I think any one of us would even think. And I know it because it's happened to me. And I talk to guys, and it happens even more. It's so crazy. Right? So I said, I'll never want to be in that position. And then the other thing that happens that guys have like girlfriends or wives, and they find out that there's porn. And part of you first is like, oh man, but it's digital, it do don't right? They're not going to be having an issue. Uh, but then you think about it. It's fucking digital, man. Like, <laughs> then you start doing on that, you know, and then, and then you, you got a flesh and blood woman here, and you're going to go and use up all your energy with the with the porn, okay? So so the first thing is the thing I went through, and then once I started getting into it, I said, that's not something I would want to put my girl through. So I said, because, look, look. Well, one one thing about having any 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 experience is that you you start to use that experience, and I know that once that genie is out the bottle, it's not going back in, right? Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing I can do about it. So I said, let me get that under control now. And then I said, okay, you know, I really like the teaching thing uh, I've, I've done a uh, my article and this is one of the things that sparked it. I, I wrote two articles on my website and like when you look up how to quit porn, quit porn anything I'm, I'm the number one person that shows up so it was kind of like the universe going yo it's time so
0: help people with uh, it.
1: yeah so i put together the group and and what i'm you know i'm just there's the there's a whatsapp group people to talk, there's a forum and I get to do a call. I, I usually do a call twice a week for might reduce the ones, but, but I, I just like being on a call so much. Like I say that, you know, because one call has a lot of people and another call doesn't, but, mm-hmm. but I enjoy coming on both and just, just dropping my mm-hmm. perspective and different things I've learned that, that help. And, you know, sometimes I'm just getting on the guys to talk because what I found is that men are lonely because mm-hmm. we're not, we're not trained to reach out. To, to, our, to each other. You know, women will never be lonely. One, because the women and every dude wants to bang them. And also, women are with one another better at building friendships. Women are never going to be lonely. So we can't expect women to understand. And guys are brought up to, to not discuss the loneliness that they deal with is supposed to be able to tough it out. And a lot of us are, are, adjust to it better than the usual than than a woman too. So that's another thing like guys are just more equipped psychologically to do with it, but for the ones that aren't. Yeah. Uh, then a lot of times I find that goes hand in hand with a lot of other types of addiction. I mean, how many a lot of people fall into for the, the booze crowd because it's a friend circle. Mm-hmm. Same with any drug. It's like, okay, these are some people I can kick it with and not be alone. So sometimes we'll just have calls where we're just chatting and chopping it up, you know, for an hour, an hour and two, just like, you know, or I tell guys, make sure you reach out to people, you know, because, you know, somebody might be going through something. But other times, you know, I, I call it taking the church where I'm, where I'm like talking about strategies that you got to like put in place, things to watch out for ways to look at things and just just keep that in mind. And yeah. we, I've, I've had some, some great successes uh, with it. Really, I mean, I was... Impressed, anyhow, our surprised and I don't know I'll put the group together. We had, and in, in the first run, they, well, I'm only in my third run now. We had, a, we had a, like a kind of a sample run, then an actual like I membership up. Now we're in the third group, and then I'll open up enrollment probably in the new year or whatever. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But I had guys that they were talking about they they couldn't go, you know, two two days without it. putting together 40, 50 day streaks, uh, not watching anything, and then carrying it through to the to the rest of their life. And, yeah. and what I found, the commonality, man, the guys that come in and talk to other guys and, and really take their heart, the idea of, of building connections. And, mm-hmm. and they want to quit, too. You know, some guys, they don't they don't yeah. want to quit that bad. I'm like, and that's why I charge to be in a group, because, look, if you're going to waste my time, I'm going to at least get paid for it. But like yeah. but but it's not enough to where like you're like, oh, man, I got to worry about making rent. If you <laughs> join the group, so It's just enough to where you're like, you know, you're serious to have some skin in the game. But the guys yeah. who want to beat him, and we we so many resources, so many guys. The WhatsApp group, I wake. up. I actually have to shut shut it off, or not shut the group off, but I have to shut my phone off because it's scattered around the globe. So everybody's up at different hours. So I'm mm. trying to go to sleep. Uh, I'm sure I'll be trying to go to sleep, at like like you know, at nighttime, somebody we got a guy over in um in Brazil. He's a freaking awake, and I'm like, man, it's like seven. So. Just no, check what he's doing. Just check what yeah, he's doing mate. Running these, running these groups is a great way to, to to get really comfortable with the uh with the with the tom zone. I will tell you that much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it mate. And um there was one quote that I switched on to I, I followed you through um someone put a tweet together saying all the stoic sports people and you were in there and, uh, as a boxer. And there were I, I came onto your Twitter and he's, I saw it the other day and it was it was something like um Either you're a man and you embrace suffering, um, or you are a coward and you live in the fear or enslaved by the fear of your own pain. Um, that's yeah. a big, big quote, mate. It's a big quote. Tell, tell me about that.
1: Here's the, the thing you know, life is pain. I, th- I think, mm. I think one of the things that we've forgotten. In this in this beautiful modern society with its magic, I mean, this is magic, bro. Like, we are sitting here, literally halfway around the world from one another, mm-hmm. and we are like we're in the same room, man. That's 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 magic, okay?
0: Very cool. Um, yeah. and,
1: and we forget, and then that's just one area of our, t- our of our advancement. <laughs> we haven't talked about transportation or medicine, right? Uh, but we we can do a lot now. And that has made us very comfortable. That has made us uncomfortable with suffering. Because why suffer? You know, you, you know, just just use a crazy but not far-fetched example. Uh, you know, you're you're in the UK, the birthplace of the industrial revolution, man. Most of these MFs, man, they couldn't work four hours in a in a real factory, like mm. hey, but without without bitching about human rights, man. They had to introduce introduce child labor laws here because they were because kids was out there getting it, like. That's how, how serious it was. But my point of bringing that up is that life is very easy now. Um, but that doesn't change the cost of business. That doesn't change the, you know, if, if you want to achieve something worthwhile, right? Or rather you want to improve your life because worthwhile is, is subjective. But improve is always, you know, from one step to another step higher at least. You're going to have to endure something uncomfortable. If for any other reason, then then growth is kind of uncomfortable. And that's something we forget. If you want to grow in your personal life, you're probably going to have to get embarrassed a little bit. You're going to be awkward. You're going to find out where you're awkward and that's going to suck. You know, you don't need to go take antidepressants. You don't need to sluck away and and drown yourself in a bottle. No, you just need to go. Okay, that was an uncomfortable experience. But what can I learn from to make myself better at it? Same with with training and fighting. That's one of the big uh, I think every guy under the age of uh, if, if in high school. Every guy had to, to fight at least three amateur boxing matches. Man, I, we, we'd have a much more peaceful society because everyone would understand it. They'd understand two things. One, a physical confrontation is nothing compared to, or rather a verbal confrontation is nothing compared to a physical one. And you can just calm down. You don't need to be me. And, and two, you know, we, we know that everybody's kind of in shape and capable. And when, you, when you're in shape... It makes you more it makes you more responsible for yourself, and self responsibility leads to a host of other positive things that that can do that can do wonders for you, you know. Mm. So,
0: yeah,
1: uh, that that's a uh, what was the question? I started talking about boxing, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. It's the quote mate, around around suffering. And oh, stuff around and, suffering, and yeah. It, uh, it's right. good, mate. So, you're right. You're right. It's it's it's. Uh, it's a phase of life. It is life. I think it was Buddha who said life is suffering, mate. So it's it's very right. And I think there's got to be a degree of like I say, that self responsibility, responsibility for yourself and how you live your life, but also um, how you counteract suffering too. So um on the back of that, mate, I think it'd be good to um to to ask the boys and if if there's any of the boys that have fancy um posing a question um for Ed. Um, uh, just let me know give me a, a wave or a, a flipping what do you call it virtual hand, hand wave but in the meantime um, Ed tell me a bit about the book of um, the superpower of not oh, basically yeah. not giving a, uh, f- a fuck what anyone thinks <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah no, nah, I, wrote, I wrote that book it was just a series of essays about different about the areas where I had to make make big changes in my life to make big changes in my life you know so mm. Uh, the the chapters are you know hard works, paradigm shifts, relationships, time and sobriety, and and it, uh, there's a few others, uh, but they're they're are collection of essays, and I wanted to just write in, in this kind of style where people were able to read it and I give them actionable advice, and they they can go out and implement it and improve. So that that was that was the first you know self published thing that I've done. Really proud of how that. That went uh, had no resources, so so like I go back now and I'm always doing edits on the on the copy to, to improve it because I didn't have any resources whatsoever at the time to do anything with it. But uh, people 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 got a lot out of it, uh, which is a, a valuable lesson. Which is just do it anyway. You know <laughs> they don't need things to be perfect, and certainly weren't weren't perfect for me when I when I you know put it together and finished it. But but yeah. There's that, and then I got you know the second book about, about sobriety. That one I, I had a bunch of resources for, and that, that that's turned out uh, great. And now I'm working on a book just about things related to uh, what I've learned in boxing and how you can use those ideas in your own life to make a difference.
0: Yeah, uh, I just got a message, mate, from from Chris O'Connor. This is quite a good question. Um, I don't know how how you're going to manage to answer this, but how do (laughs) people that haven't had a hard background, um, we haven't spoke about that, your background, mate, but I know you lived a a, a tough upbringing over in in, in Pittsburgh, Um, but how do people who haven't had that hard background, how do they build resilience?
1: Well, the cool thing is that you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah, uh, thank goodness. But <laughs> because, uh, on that note, before I answer the question, I'll have to remember I'll, I'm I'm a beneficiary of survivor's bias, or rather, uh, people see my lens through survivor's bias. And you're not if you're not familiar with that is that is um, people who make it through. Or, or when the when the low probability event occurs and that is displayed, then people think that's the high probability event, right? Because usually what happens to people like me is not people like me. Like, that's not what what occurs. You know, usually we end up prison, still in the system. Uh, we don't make it out. Like, I mean, I look at all my, my family and everything that I've seen, you know, this is not a typical result, uh, in other words. But... The resilience to build that, a big part of resilience is 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 going through things that you don't want to do and continuing to do them until you have what you want. And I actually think that might actually be the definition, maybe a little uh, colloquial. But the point of me bringing that, that definition up is if you can find a thing that you, that you want, that's challenging, um, to acquire and go after it, you're going to, you're going to learn a lot. And if you can't find something you want, then train for a fight. I, I've look, I'm, I'm studying right now for, for the book that I'm reading or writing. And so I'm reading a bunch of other books that guys have read about fighting. There is a guy who's a 40 year old English professor who said he wants to learn about violence. So he trained for an MMA fight. Um, in other words, you know, there's a there's a lot you can do, uh, and and I think fighting really will teach resiliency because look, no one I can tell you this I did it for years as a professional I got paid and I don't want to get hit in the face, right? No one wants to get hit, but you train and you learn to deal with it. You stare it in the eye. You figure it out and you how to move through it. So, so my general kind of one-size-fits-all answer is find a thing that will force you to do things you don't want to do to get something that you do want, right? My yeah. specific answer is train for a fight. I don't mean just go to a gym you know pussyfoot around and, and then someone says what are you doing here and you're like oh, i think i might want to take a fight like no show up like like how i showed up which is i want to fight i mean and that's exactly what it is. i said i'm here because i want to fight how long until i can get in the ring and they were like uh oh, depends about six months and i said okay I'll be here every day till i get in the ring and that's what i did right mm-hmm. so do that and and you'll you'll have <laughs> gone through everything necessary to uh to build resilience and you'll be able to apply that in other areas of your life.
0: Cool. Love it, mate, love it. And um Paul Hughes, um it's quite a good one. Um here he is, he's on now, Paul. You go ahead, pal. Okay. Um how do you know as a boxer when he's enough? Um you see a lot of fighters. Um and one who's fighting this weekend, um, Roy Jones, who was past it seven years ago when he's fighting Mike Tyson. How do you know when it's enough? And huh? was it difficult for you um, to quit, or did, and did you ever feel
1: tempted to carry on? Oh, that's day? a <laughs> that's a great question. Good question. Okay, so I knew. Okay, so when I talk about, I'll answer that. I'll start with this. So whenever I whenever I talk about whether I'll ever fight again, I make it very clear. I will never fight a heavyweight fight again. I will I will never fight in that, that weight class ever again, okay? Uh, Those guys are just too big. I'm not big enough, um, and I'm not good enough to account for the difference in size, skill-wise. So, I don't want to fight a heavyweight fight again. I have not entirely mentally abandoned the idea of fighting uh, a cruiserweight fight, which is one weight class down. I'd have to lose a little weight, but but not so much, and and I would actually have, like, for the first time in my life as a fighter, maybe a height advantage, right? I've been short the, the smaller man for almost all my fights. Alright, so, what that, I had to state that because I don't, I haven't psychologically given up on the idea that I could ever fight again. However, what made me give up on the idea of, of ever fighting heavyweight again was looking at I looked at all the guys who were who I'd have to go through, or who I likely have to go through the fight to keep getting better. And then I looked at the guys on the other side of them, the guys that you know, the names that come to mind immediately: the Parkers, Joshuas, Furies, Yes Yeseray, Revis. I'm not beat like like. Those guys are not bad fighters at all, and they're bigger, which means I'd have to be a much more skilled guy and just make a difference, and, I, and I'd have there So I was able to look at it in, intelligently and go, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. But another thing that helped me do it, and this is what a lot of fighters don't have and can't do, so they end up sticking around and turning their records all kind of upside down, taking fights for paydays, I had other things to fall back on. It wasn't like like it wasn't painful to when I because when I first stopped I said I'm done fighting and then I said maybe I'll fight at a lower weight class but the initial thought was I'm done fighting period and it wasn't a difficult decision to make because I think when I stopped fighting in fact the the, the May two thousand eighteen is is when I when I got the concussion we were talking about earlier. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? And I got that sparring, a heavyweight and, and freaking practice sparring, right? Mm-hmm. And and I said, I'm going to leave. That was the first month I cleared over $10,000 in, in revenue from my site and everything I was doing. I think I made almost 20 that month. And so I was like, okay, I really want to, like I'm putting a lot of my life on hold for training. and And now I don't have to, And I wasn't so far along in my career that people were expecting me to come back and fight for a title or something. I wasn't locked up to a contract, so I could walk away. And and here's my experience in boxing. We're not going to talk about your contenders or your champions. Uh, Those guys have a vested financial and business interest to stay. Like A lot of them are contractually obligated or they make so much that it actually does make some sense to stay. But I think a, you know, the rest of the guys, the other 96% of us, if they could leave, <laughs> they probably would. I have seen a lot of guys stick around, and after that, you know, because when you have a good record, you know, you you continue to get better offers, and then when you lose, it's like I got offer more money for fights when I lost because now I had a record that they could use to market another guy and build up they were willing to pay me fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 to come and fight a guy that they knew I would lose to, but it, would, it was an investment in the other guy's future because they'd be able to make more money off of his fight. So um, it, that that was a really easy, it was easy for me to go, okay, I am hurt and busted up and I'm hurt and busted up because I'm fighting guys way, that's why I got my first concussion that I fought a guy six three two fifty, 250, and he could fight. I beat him, but he could fight. And I like I just, you know, it was a hard fight, man. It was a hard one. I got busted around. I won that fight on split decision in a hometown. So you know, maybe I lose it if I'm in his town. But that's a, a a rough one. But but to answer your question, I knew it was. I knew it was time to stop fighting heavyweight. Uh, I would have stopped earlier realistically. But I but once I had the resources to kind of walk away solid it's for crew it's for, look look right now after spawn, because because I, I don't know if you got if I, if I mentioned this on the podcast or not already but the last two or three weeks i've been spawning with Roy jones jr actually last month or two month or two not two or three weeks i've been sparring with roy jones jr getting ready for mike tyson's fight and i'm in there and, and i'm like moving around great i'm like okay I can still do this i can still compete because even though it's a 50 year old roy jones it's a 50 year old roy jones like it's not it's not a 50 year old any nobody like it's Mm -hmm. a guy that's still fast and strong like like, i can i can still do this so my mind's like i'm like okay like if if the tommy worked out um i'd still do it with that said uh realistic, and it's all it's all realistic to me because i can be realistic i don't have to a lot of guys have to a lot of themselves because that's the paycheck uh, and they got to be in there or that's the contract. I don't have to do either of those things. And I know that like if I don't take a fight in the next um, probably 18 months, I probably will never do it again. Mm. But, and, if I, and if I get to it in the next 18 months, it's going to be because I took care of some other stuff. So it depends. So short answer, I'm not really done. Long answer is I'm probably, well, I'm definitely done a heavyweight, possibly and possibly done.
0: Did you manage to catch roy jones jr or not oh yeah no no
1: you know what was what was cool about being somebody's spawn partner for that long is is i'm not like i'm not like a bad fighter like <laughs> you know so 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 i'm in there moving and grooving and uh first first day or two first, first two spawn sessions i would say i probably got the best of them and then he was then, then his brain was just like click and, and you if you check out my Instagram, there's a picture of us standing together. And uh, and my shirt is, like, covered in blood because he caught me with this hook. I had never been hit that hard from that angle. Like, that. that's what did the did – the, like, like, you know what I was talking to you about? Like, you got to let all the horses come back in yeah. so your concussion – right. Fortunately, all the horses were back in. Like, like so I was fine. I mean, yeah. after that – but it was a good – Shot like, and it was a good, powerful bust my nose all up. My coach was like, ah, oh, shit, I should have brought the adrenaline. Couldn't heal for like two days. Um, but it's like because we had sparring again, and I got hit and it ble- made it bleed again. But no, it was, it was a good, um, good session. Now, where he got me, I got him. And then by the end, I was just like, but by the end, what happened is what should have happened, which is I knew enough to where I figured out how to get around everything and not get hurt. And likewise, he was still him, and he knew how to not get hurt either. Because that's what happens. If you watch a fight at like the top level, it's just outside of heavyweight, guys just aren't making mistakes. You have to win fights as opposed to the other guy losing them.
0: Yeah, love it. Love it, mate. And uh, CJ O'Connor, are you there, mate? I've seen that that you want to just ask a question. Probably the last question before we wrap up, mate, so make it a good one. Yeah, sure. And um, thanks for everything. It's been really, really interesting. But yeah, you've got a very diversified kind of skill set, and also I think your opinions reflect that and your beliefs, and um, it's probably why you're quite popular as well. I just wondered what kind of books and thinkers have influenced you over the years, and if you were picking like a handful, um, who've had the biggest impact on you, which would they be?
1: Oh man, that's that, that's just an easy one. Well, well, easier question. <laughs> Uh, the, the first thing, first, first guy that immediately comes to mind is Josh Whiteskin. He wrote a book called The Art of Learning, where he talked about um, what he figured out and learned in chess. And also what he learned you know, doing Chinese push hands, which is some type of uh, combat version of Tai Chi. But he, he does a lot of work with uh, Tim Ferriss now as well. But uh, Josh Whiteskin and The Art of Learning, fantastic book. Another book that has made a huge impact on my life is called A Course in Miracles. And I actually don't know who wrote it. I'm looking right at it, and, and there's not an author, I think. Um, but that book is the book that got me, uh, that helped me learn forgiveness. And, and forgiveness is, is an art and a science. You can practice it. It's not something that you just let good that you just expect to happen. You just randomly wake up and forgive people. Like, no, that made a really big difference and changed how I look at humans fundamentally, right? I don't see myself and my motivations as any different than another person. Instead, I see us all acting out the same kind of desires. It's just that some people. They're, they're, they're programming, for lack of a better word, and that's not the word used in the book. That's just what I use. Um, they don't operate with as much empathy or awareness of the other person uh, involved. So a lot of it is, is more selfish than malicious, and you just get caught up in that. But but of Course in Miracles, uh, The Art of Learning, and, and um, in terms of books and thinkers, uh, other than that, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of of, of of James Clear, the guy who wrote Atomic Habits and just reading his stuff in general. Uh, I I really like that and and it's a, it's a lot of, of very practical stuff. If you can get your hands on any of the stuff that Bruce Lee wrote, uh, Bruce Lee is fantastic for his ability to to break down how people move and his, the way he thinks about a conflict. Very art of war ish. Art of War is another great uh, book, and also Robert and Tom Wilson. And if you can, Robert and Tom Wilson, he his, his probably most famous books are uh, Prometheus Rising, Quantum Consciousness. I think a uh, Quantum Psychology, not Quantum Consciousness. Um, uh, very, very interesting books, and and once again, if you if you look at these books, you'll notice that most of them have to do with interacting with people. What I've learned is that if you interact with people, it is the most important thing. I don't care how technologically advanced the world becomes. If you 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 have to develop a strong a strong framework for how you deal with people, not just when things are going well, but when things go badly as they tend to with humans and you have to be able to read them and, and use that information to kind of make your life easier but and, and i think it does or at the very least you know remove the, the the tension and stress from your life when it arises but but i hope that that list is good yeah that 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 pretty much sums up like off the top of my head i'm sure if i, if I dug deeper mm-hmm. I'd, I'd come up with more but yeah uh, josh whiteskin of course miracle miracles, bruce lee robert anton wilson james clear those those, those
0: guys just just off the back of that mate uh, what what do you practice do you practice anything daily do you have any habits that you, you've, you've implemented and, and routines
1: oh man you know other than making sure because I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock which is nice um, and, mm. but, but what I've learned is that it's probably a good idea to anyway <laughs> so I, 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 I started to wake up at 7 o'clock every morning that's good that that lets me know. Well, well no, I don't stay up late anyway, man. I'm I'm freaking thirty five. Living with my girl now for eight years. Like like I'm I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not about the life. I don't I don't drink. Like I don't have you know things like that, <laughs> that are gonna are gonna mess yeah. me up. But uh, no, nah, I love. But that was a big thing is is I would I'd sleep until whenever I crawled out of bed, which wasn't that late. But you gotta have mm-hmm. some consistency in your life. Yeah, so yeah I chose yeah. I chose seven o'clock that's my consistent get up boom uh, and that, that's that's what works for me um, it doesn't have to work for everybody but if it, I, I think there's a big advantage to waking up early and it's not about just getting more hours out of the day which is what a lot of people counter with when they talk about oh why not just stay up later like no it's about it, it, if we all have to kind of work within the same block of time and we know that as the day goes on your energy reserves decrease even if you're a late out, you're not going to have as much energy in the evening as you do early. You're not going to have as much clarity. You're going to have other things in your mind that happen during the day. So I'm a big fan of early. At 7 o'clock is still late. Like when I was, for most of my life, I probably got up right around, around 6 outside of my military time. And that's, that's a different animal. By 6 o'clock, you already worked out and you're on your yeah. way to the mess hall but uh yeah, yeah that's a it's about uh, yeah that, that's that's pretty much my my, my um daily mm. habit right there man waking up early mm, yeah.
0: you you meditate or anything like that to, to practice this empathy and and stuff do you, do you do don't meditate
1: i just uh, i'm a big fan of getting uh, of interrupting my own reaction that's mm. that's the you know, or, or running. Running is probably the closest to meditation that I, I actively do. Yeah. But but the, the big thing in terms of empathy and all that is, is I find it easier if I can just get in the middle and not let myself react. So I, so I'm, if, you, even if you notice, I think talking here, uh, I don't typically say the first thing that comes to mind as it comes to mind. I try to give myself a pause. And that doesn't mean I change what I say but it does continue to train the habit of looking at what I say. Because mm. once those words come out of your mouth, man, you can't take them back. People don't – I mean, you can, like, go, my bad, but, but you already said it, man. It's out there and shit. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. like, so you got you to gotta think about it. And, and so – and it's this my mind when I tell them, even when it sounds like I'm off the handle, a lot of times it is a, a deliberate response, and that mm. is practiced because if you can practice and use – Anger and abrasion, if you can use it, imagine what you can do for somebody when you're trying to work with them positively. You've taken one of the most reactive things, the most natural habits. You've learned to stop and think before you do it. Then you can do the same thing to make someone's day better or easier to communicate an idea, get them to understand you, persuade them, whatever. So that's uh, the, the extent of my meditation
0: love it love it mate i love it um just want to say thank you very much for joining us from over there mate over the pond and um cheers boys that have, have joined us as well and and uh yeah you're a top man you've been doing some good stuff mate you're sending the good message you're making a difference buddy so thank you for spending some time with us and and uh, really enjoyed that chat pal
1: hey thank you man i really appreciate this
0: This is just a reminder to anyone who is feeling out of sorts, unfulfilled, perhaps a bit like life is running away from you and you are no longer in the driving seat. Picking up the phone and chatting to John, our mentality counsellor, is the step that grants you permission to do something about it and get back on track to the life that you deserve. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Really, really appreciate you. And... If you could show some of your appreciation, that would be mega. Please like, subscribe, share us, and let any other men know who is into opening up their mind and living better mentally that they should be listening to Mentality.